Hey, welcome back to the Hustle Podcast. Today, we're going to try something really new. We're going to, we're trying video here in a new room for the, for the podcast uh, and see how, see you uh, experiment with doing video. Today, I'm here with my friend, Mike Trozo, uh, who's in town from Dallas. Uh, and we are drinking um, Balcones Texas Rye, 100 Proof Rye Whiskey from Waco, Texas. Yeah. Thanks for stopping by, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, what brings you to Austin? And so original trip was planned. I've got a, uh, some college friends that were all meeting at an Airbnb way out in Kingsland. You know where Kingsland is? I don't know where Kingsland is. I didn't, I never heard of it. Uh, but it's 90, it's about 90 minutes, uh, Northwest of here. Uh, and then my brother has kids and they're all at, in Austin for UT life. So we're all going to go to dinner tonight, which oh, is awesome. Fun. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for making time to do this. It's really rare for me to have a, a guest that I c- can actually come in and, oh, and record in person. So it's always, good. how do you normally do it? They're normally all uh, calling in remote. Oh, you know, oh. so using like zoom at best okay. to like, you know, see, sure. you know, you see each other. So, so why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to sure. the listeners so they know a bit about you? Yeah. So like Anthony said, my name is Mike Trozo. I co-lead a design and dev team for tide cleaners. And some of you might know it, Tide cleaners is some of you might not, but it is uh, so Tide PNG Tide soap Tide uh, laundry day NFL Tide. They have a service business like a service wing uh, that has three service businesses: uh, one that serves a suburban market, one that serves an urban market with a locker based model, and then one that serves a campus uh, market, so a university like trucks on campuses. And that's that's where I came through. I started uh, with that business for a long time. Uh, and now I'm part of this team that is building enterprise software for all three, uh, as the companies start to get on the same platform. Uh, that's what we're building. Awesome. Why don't you tell people a little bit about the backstory, like how you arrived at Tide and what that, what that journey was like? Cause yeah, I don't... sure. The company story is, is pretty great that, so university laundry was a company that uh, my college roommate founded, Originally, this this business at SMU was called Mustang Laundry, and it was started by Blake McCoskey, who went on to start Tom Shoes. Mm-hmm. And so Blake sold it to somebody. They were going to buy a, a similar service that my college roommate Nathan Watkins had started at Baylor after he, when we all finished school. Uh, and Nathan and his wife Paige, right before she was about to start law school, instead of selling to them, ended up buying the SMU business. Uh, and then they took it and grew it to a, a bunch of schools. Uh, over five or six years. And then uh, for me personally, in 2007, Nathan called uh, for me to do design work and do, you know, brand work. And so redid, uh, redid the, like the brand identity for University Laundry. Uh, and then eventually at the time moved to Texas in 2010 to take a, like a bigger role with the company. Uh, and then moved to Dallas in 2014 um, and was full time at that point. And then in 2017, uh, the company was acquired by uh, this wing of PNG okay. uh, called Agile Pursuits, and so we've so we've been under un, in that family for two years now. So, what is the mission of the of the organization that you're in? Like, and how is like what I mean? What can you tell? What can you say about the kinds of things, the kinds of challenges that you're that you're addressing with, in trying to innovate? Yeah, yeah. that's a, a that's a good question. There's a lot there. I mean, I think for the for the most part, you know, like the ethos of the laundry service business is that you know, doing laundry is a, is a drag. And so if we can, if we can provide uh, a way for people to not do laundry, like we have a, the idea is this life, not laundry. And so there's just a lot better things to do 
uh, with life than, than laundry. And what's happened is that there's also, you know, a really big chunk of, there's a lot of dry cleaning. And so we obviously can't do that at home. Uh, and so Tide has offers both services with the laundry service. I don't know if we've ever really talked about this in detail and so many different companies that didn't have design and engineering represent are, are doing design and engineering. I don't think like laundry definitely wasn't something to me that I thought you know, you would think about when you think about, you know, design and innovation, all that sort of stuff. Right. But I do think sometimes about like when I lived in New York, the one thing that I miss about living in New York is that there was a place, a, mm. a service for laundry. What did you use? Oh, well, they were just all like mom and pop businesses. Yeah. The, the wash and fold and yeah. dry cleaning. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like a digital service or anything no, like no, no, that, of course. but like, but you it was it a off. service. Yeah. Like you drop it off, it arrives at your, at your home in a nice, package. hopefully little, little yeah. package or tied up. And it's yeah, like, exactly. I mean, and there, there's something really amazing about those kinds of services, but what yeah. can you tell me about like, what kind of services do you provide to your customers? Or is it more of like an, or is it more like R and D and internal uh, innovation? I mean, no, I mean, like for us, all three customers uh, can get dry cleaning done. One of the challenges that we face is that dry cleaning, when we bring shirts, like a shirt that I'm wearing, this shirt's going to get laundered and then pressed and then returned on a hanger. Uh, And then like a wool sweater would get dry cleaned. Right. Right. And so we offer both of that. Obviously, like you would go into a dry cleaner Uh, and then the the wash and fold is the same of what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, And so the mechanism of how to get it to us is different probably than your than what you had in New York, because uh, you were walking somewhere to drop it off. Uh, and you could theoretically walk to a suburban tide cleaners if you lived close enough. But so the urban model, you drop it in a locker. Uh, so there'll be lockers in thousands of buildings. It's Amazon locker style where it's like, it just looks like a, a locker. You have a key, a keypad. Uh, and that piece has a digital component, obviously, to tell us which locker you're in. And then we're going to tell you which locker it comes back. Oh, interesting. And then the campus side adds one other element, which is they still have, they have some lockers at some of the campuses. Uh, and then they also will do uh, a vehicle. So a big truck, imagine like a big UPS truck that sits outside of residence halls on campuses. And so there's 21 schools with these trucks that sit out and uh, a student staff will be there. And then you would, instead of walking to your corner store in New York, you just walk out of your, your residence hall, drop it with a student. And then all of the the digital component of that is all the same. You get the text that says, hey, we got your clothes. This is really cool. How many markets is this available in right now? It's a, it's a really good question that I should know the answer to. Uh, <laughs> we're, I'm so hyper-focused in a, in a handful of markets as we're uh, testing what we're building. Um, well, okay, well, maybe we talk yeah, about that. So what markets are you, what are you focused on? I don't know how many, the dry cleaning stores, I, I don't know how many markets the number of cities that they're in. I didn't even know that there was. Yeah. Tide tide stores. stores, Yeah. Until you, I mean, so the last time that we caught up was at Epic Currency. Yeah. You mentioned that, but I I didn't ask you, but I did kind of put an asterisk. Like I didn't know there was a tight, like tight. Yeah. Um, And I, I don't know how off the top of my head, how many there are, uh, how many are official. And I don't know what numbers I'm hearing, right? There's number, there's a number floating in my head and I don't know if that's an internal or external number. But like in, in Dallas, there are three, I believe. Okay. And you might see Tide Dry Cleaners, right? As they, they're merging into this name. And then the urban market may have a dozen cities, roughly. Uh, Chicago is where that business uh, was built. And then the campus business has 21 campuses. Oh, wow. Um, and so there's a, there is some crossover. Uh, Dallas has all three. Uh, so we have SMU, TCU. Uh, and then the urban model is there. And then the 
suburban models there as well. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and so that's where I am. And so that's where, uh, a lot of our, uh, recent activity has happened. You're leading a design and engineering team. You, I think you might be the first person on this podcast or yeah. First person on this podcast I've talked to that it's leading both a design yeah, and, and, and engineering. Uh, like, tell, and what is I, that and like? Would, yeah, I would imagine that um, the engineers on our team would giggle at me uh, <laughs> at me leading them um, because it, it's my partner Pete Coulter has all of the the tech and engineering knowledge, but we do have a, a back and forth uh, how we lead and how we co lead, mm-hmm. and so I think I say it like that. Even though if anybody asks me a question about how a build gets updated through Meraki. It's like I could probably explain it at an eight-year-old level, and then it would start to fall apart in terms of if somebody, once somebody asks me that follow-up question, you know, like when, 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 uh, it's not even an important metaphor, but, um, effectively it's like once, once somebody says, oh, it sounds like, you know what you're talking about. Here's a question about that. I'm like, oops, let me get you somebody who can answer that question. Right. Well, uh, I mean, so, I, I mean, I, I think isn't, isn't that the job of the leader to not know, to just give <laughs> people what they need to do their jobs. I mean, like to some extent, I would, I would hope so. Yeah. I think I'm learning a lot about leadership in this process too. I think it's been, uh, it's been a good, a good process for me, but yeah, it is, it's great. And the team is great. The team really cares about each other. The team really cares about the product and the team really cares about the process. And so I'm learning a ton from them as, uh, everybody has brought their experiences from all these other projects and products it feels like we're in a, in a good place. You know, there's obviously there are things we're still learning and things we're still getting better. And, you know, one of the guys uh, will always talk about like one of our values is, is always getting better. And it's a, it's a great value. And it's something that I think, you know, even as I grow up, it is something to be like, Oh, that's a value I could bring even in personal life. So yeah. uh, it seems like it's so simple, but there, there's something that, one someone at fun size says all the time progress over perfection mm. that i'm kind of i've been thinking a lot about mm. a lot a lot about that because it's really good you know in, in my position like leading a team you know like i have to you know i have to look at like the five-year forecast and the three-year and the one year and then okay how do we break down quarterly goals and the design org to do that and then i'm working across like design internal design culture and then like project delivery and then you know, all, all of that stuff, both like hard stuff and soft stuff. Sure. And the OCD person in me wants all of that to be perfect. And I think that, uh, I, I think it is important. It's more important, I think, to, to just be making progress. You know, I, I think a, an internal team and the dynamics of a team and not very different than a piece of software, but like, you can't just like, you're just not going to solve something overnight. These things take time and a lot of, a lot of work. They do to, to do. And I, I feel like for me, I've had to learn that everything is dynamic because I think for me, perfection is that like, it's always been this unattainable goal for whatever, even, you know, as a human, like, I think it's, I was a perfect way more of a perfectionist back in the day than I am now. Um, but it is, everything's always moving. And so even if it, even if it got perfect for a half a second, like that Muhammad Ali picture where there's the photographer, behind Ali and he's standing over somebody like this, that shot is like, it's, it's such a minuscule moment in time when you see the video that you have no idea how fast that whole thing happened. And the picture looks like he's standing over somebody 
taunting him. Um, and I think in the same way, it's like life is always moving and maybe for a moment things felt perfect, but then it's already scattered back into evolving into whatever it's going mm-hmm. to be. So anyway, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not familiar with that. With I'll that send you a picture. Can, yeah. I mean, it's just, that was the one picture that came to mind that I thought I've seen this photo a hundred times and then I saw the video of it and it just was like, Oh, this was very different than the photos, the story, the photo told question for you. Can you tell me a little bit about your background? Like did, sure. did you start out as an engineer or as a designer or no. as a graphic designer? I mean, what's your, what's your story? Yeah. So, um, in school I studied finance and ISY, uh, at Baylor. Um, okay. I, I think I have an entrepreneurial spirit. And so I thought, Oh, I would, I would want to run a business. And so, um, let me figure out this. I also, you know, if I look back at my education, I don't think I knew, I don't think I realized really in those moments that I was making decisions that, that would affect my future. And I know that sounds really stupid. And on some regard, I don't know if they even did, uh, but I didn't, I didn't as a kid ever think like I wanted to be an astronaut or a baseball player. Uh, at some point I was, I wanted to be a doctor. And so there's this, this, let's just do this general business education and we'll go to business school. I don't think I ever had a master plan about my career, anything like that. And so when I finished school, I moved to California, tried to act, waited tables. Did you ever uh, do anything? A, no, a commercial or no, a I, I didn't go on an audition. I went through acting classes and, you know, I was uh, 22 and like, I don't think I knew who I was. And, and to, to understand somebody trying to say, well, who is this person you're trying to play? Like, I don't think I had a concept of myself enough to even know, oh, let me step oh, out gosh. of myself so that I can play an Anthony, right? I just, it just never clicked until maybe I was 26 after I had quit acting and gone, oh, that would have made more sense had I known what I know now. So, wow, that's, that is an interesting thought. I've never thought about, how do you think child actors do that? Great question. I have no, I mean, I don't know, uh, maybe, maybe there is a, I I have no clue. So let me, we're going to make up answers because that's what we do on podcasts. Maybe there is a make-believe. How would I play Anthony if I just was going to try to play Anthony? Uh, Just like, how would I play somebody uh, from England? I would copy somebody from England. I don't know. Child actors aren't copying kids. Don't, don't let me, don't hear me say that. I have no idea. But for me, that was the moment of like, I couldn't get into somebody else's head because I wasn't, I didn't even know where my own head was to leave it. Yeah. It was just like, well, don't you want Mike? And it was like, no, we're trying to get, you know, Rick anyway, never went on an audition eventually. So in, in college I was doing t-shirts. That was my business. I had a t-shirt business. And so I would sell to fraternities and sororities. Okay. But what's great about that business is that everybody's pre-ordering everything, right? You, I, you don't just <laughs> think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's money? You, don't, yeah, yeah. you don't spend a dollar until somebody's like, okay, we're ready to do it. We approve everything. Uh, we're going to pay for it. And all you have to do is deliver. And so I I did that all the way through college. And then really maybe until 2017, I had my hands still in some t-shirt and I will get two orders a year still that people just know that I do it and they're reordering something. And so they'll email me and say, Hey, we need, here's the sizes we need. And I can, in 15 minutes, resend the link and order the shirts. So that was a business I did in college, but I would just do, you know, if you look at fraternity and sorority t-shirt, in graphic design, uh, it is like a rip off whatever you want to see, tweak it for your fraternity or sorority, and then print it. Like mm-hmm. that's the game. I, I don't know. That was, I went to school 
what year is it? I'm 20 years ago. So this would have been my 20th reunion this year. So I did that. Um, so I learned how to use Illustrator and Photoshop, didn't do much else. And then was, uh, in California. Um, I got out of acting and I got into production, TV production. So I worked on a show called without a trace was the first show I worked on. It was a, like a CBS crime drama about missing persons. And then I left that show and I got a job at cold case, which is another, it was like an old cases, uh, another CBS, all all these like Bruckheimer, super high contrasty, steely light television shows, uh, in the early two thousands. And then I went on to a movie called sky high, which was like a a Disney movie about a, a superhero high school. Make sense. So, uh, Kurt uh, Russell, Kelly Preston. What, what did you do on the movie? So I was an assistant coordinator. Okay. Uh, and so the way I always always explain it is that when you, you have an idea what a, um, like a auto plant looks like, you just, Someone, there's a bunch of machines, yeah, right? Assembly imagine. line. Yeah. And so somebody has to get the machines, what they need make sure everybody has what they need. And the, so there's a production office that basically is uh, getting information in and then give, getting it going out. So, okay. uh, film, if you need film, we would be the ones to send okay. somebody to get yeah, film. Okay. Right. So I did that. And then one of my big jobs was to do air conditioning for this big gym set. I remember being up there on a Saturday all day trying to get temporary air conditioning because it was too hot for the actors. <laughs> it's so I mean, random. I mean, it's so random. Yeah. Dude, I gotta, I gotta stop you for a minute and ask yeah. you a question uh, yeah. because it's kind of related. Sure. Well, I didn't know that there was be this relationship, but okay. So you, you were studying finance. Yeah. And one of the things that we were talking about when we were playing this show is like, how can design impact a PNL? Yeah. Many designers that I know don't think about that. Yeah. Like how they're, you know, the, the nuances of like their costs and profit or yeah. under, understand these things Yeah. or, you know, um, and I think that even some businesses like in emerging markets don't un- quite yet understand that design can actually, that, that design equals profit you know, yeah. happy users, yeah. you know, customers, you know, dollar signs and all that. Sure. Like, uh, when we were planning this show and that was a thing that you said you want to talk about, like what's, what's behind that? What, ca- what can you tell me about sure. how you think, uh, design can impact a company's profit I mean, I think, and loss? I think that's what I, I, you know, if, if you say, Hey, let's ask Anthony a question. I think that's what I'm, I am trying to, to figure out how to, mm. how to put into words. Yeah. I have a bunch of random thoughts about it from, even from, from brand design impacting a PNL, uh, to feature design. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe even the, the feature design is easier to calculate. What's tricky is that, you know, we can, we can find comps, for adding a drive-through to a, a restaurant, you have a coffee shop or a, a burger joint, and and you can say, okay, well, w- when people add a drive-through, it's going to add eighteen percent revenue. I have no idea if that number is right, but whatever that yeah, number, number is, yeah. right? Yeah. There's there you could find it. You could go to a, a business board and say, hey, what, what's we're thinking about putting a drive-through in? What do people normally see? What it's not going to do, it may not double your business, right? I don't know. It could. Uh, it'd probably be more drive-throughs if it did. So at some point what we don't have is a comp for uh, what happens when this button is easier to read. Right. Um, and that's the thing that I think that uh, we as designers, when the more we get to the table talking about business, right. right? And so we all want to be at this table and this table, this is what, the, this is what the table talks about. Like the table is talking about profit and loss statements. Yep. That's it. So uh, not that that's it, right? There's obviously, some, well, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's it not is, it. You know, like I'm at those 
Yeah. I run my business. We talk about that. And it's not just about making money. It's about, well, what is, what are the benefits of that? Right? Like everything will come back when you have that. cash in the bank, yeah. then you have opportunities to take risks yes. or, you know, try new things, hire, you know, whatever, right? All but of the above. You get no opportunities if there's, if you're in the red, Yes, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, as we brainstorm ideas and we brainstorm marketing ideas, some of these things, I just, I don't have any comps for, I don't have any comps for taking friction out of a process. I don't have a comp for rebrand and maybe, maybe they're, they're phantom and they're all going to be all over the place because they're, I read a really interesting article about that. That's kind of related to the impact of design, specifically branding and packaging on Texas beer. Interesting. So it's, you know, I haven't seen it. There was a few different people that were interviewed in this, but Christian Helm studio was like one of the primary things. Cause he's worked on, you know, yeah. many, many different breweries like, you know, independence and Austin Bill works. And he's, you know, not just Austin, but Texas beers. You'd have to look it up, but their independence, I think was a, was an interesting case, um, study. case study because independence is one of Texas. Uh, well, one of Austin's like oldest craft beer okay. uh, makers. And they make really good beer, but when they rebranded, their their revenues just spiked tremendously, and they haven't gone down. They just keep going up and up and up. Fascinating. And so, like, they're like through user research and a few things like that. I think they they had like uncovered that like people started to make a connection between well, is this is the product as stale as the branding looks? Right. I, mean, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I'm used to, I'm used to thinking about things in terms of digital product, but yep, I don't have a branding background. But I I, I just read that like. 24 hours ago or 48 hours ago. So I thought that was really, it's fascinating. Really, really interesting. Where are you from originally? Houston. Okay. I'm from Texas too. I spent some time outside of Texas. And I, when I came back, one of the things that I saw was that like regional startups weren't really using design to their full advantage here. Yeah. In this region. Yeah. I still think they're, they're getting better, right? They're, you know, startups, growth state startups uh, are where, give me some regional startups just so that I can get an idea of what oh. that even means. Oh, I, I guess I just mean like startups that are born and grown localized locally. Okay. Yeah, like this Texas area mid, not in the Bay area, not in the East coast. Just Got like it. In this, uh, this area. I noticed that, and I think it's still the case in many, in many cases that they don't, they may be hiring growing design teams, but they still don't really understand like what design is. I think, some companies think that design is just decoration, right. right? And that the real value is like getting the product out and the engineering team and all that. But they don't understand that like what happens when you really do design correctly. Like, I mean, you can't just like, de- you know, to your point, you can't just necessarily, if, if you're just designing a button and it has a positive reaction, great. But like, if you're not doing the process to, to determine what, where that button should be and what color it should be and really understanding the problem, then one is luck and one is like yeah, yeah, intent, yeah. you know? And sure. I think that uh, some, some companies just think that design is like that, this sort of decorative, the skin decorative thing. Yeah. But if design is empowered to understand, uh, well, I mean, it's a symbiotic thing, right? Like uh, a lot of discussions about it, but if you're going to be at the table, you have to understand how the business talks. Right. So if you yeah. want if you want to, if you want to impact it like a P and L or whatever, you have to understand how the company actually makes money for sure. Um, and this is, this is, this is this thing I've, I've just been digging into to try to understand how to talk about it. Yeah. Because I think uh, as designers, we all respond to things that are done well. And I'll, I, like, sure, pretty things too, but things that are done well, right? 
I think about design in terms of done well as opposed to decorated well yeah. or, or skinned well. I love things that are pretty, like it's great. But when somebody has thought through what I'm going to go through, uh, I think it's a really beautiful moment. Right. And, I, and I feel like in that moment, I feel like, oh, wow, man, somebody thought about this. And this is spectacular. The value of that for a business. Now, I don't know. I, it's hard to put into a quantifiable case, but yet we're going to be uh, pitching ideas uh, in these meetings. If we are at the table or if we're about to be at the table, uh, this is the language in which to say, how do we start to calculate uh, what we are offering and what we can do and what problems we can solve uh, into dollars? Uh, and maybe it's, you know, I, I think I would say, depending on the size of the business, that answer is probably different. Because if a, if a really big company, if I solve a, co- a problem for a really big company, it's worth more to them than a small cafe. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've solved the, the restroom issue at the cafe, where now everybody knows where the restroom is and it used to be frustrating, right? But now it's it's not only that they know where it is, maybe I've figured out a way that, because I did it really well, I figured out a way that the confusion is delightful, right? Whatever that is, to go, yeah. oh my gosh, have you been to this place? Uh, their bathrooms are really easy to find. <laughs> I don't see that happening. Uh, but whatever that moment is, um, I had a good experience now. Everything was great. You guys should go there. Is that, do we start to say, okay, well, the, the value is really in the word of mouth, uh, I don't know. I, this is what I'm, I am out there trying to figure out mm-hmm. um, personally, because I think it's uh, an interesting tool for us as designers. Because what I think what's happened is we, we got this big wave of design can be really good for business. Um, and I feel like we have to figure out how to then say, uh, this is how it can also affect the business's numbers. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not like, I like numbers. I think I am responding more towards uh, something I see of like a void of, as opposed to like my, am I passionate about a profit and loss statement? No. Um, I just think that at the end of the day, we're going to have to figure this out to be seated there. Yeah, I think so. Um, if we can, I don't even know. Somebody might just eventually go, Oh yeah, you can't. It's all different. On on a lot of different it's spectrums. Spiritual. I, I think too, you know, like I think, you know, if, you know, like, you know, it's design, you know, like, Design has to speak the language of business, of course, and the business needs to learn to, you know, speak the language of design and businesses are starting to reach out and and all that. And then there's the things that you need to do, like as a designer to like understand the user, you know, the the customer. Sorry, I don't like the word user, like the customers and what's going to translate to retention and dollars. But then there is another way I think that like design can impact the P&L. And that's like, well, how responsible is like how is the design operation or engineering operation set up? And is it a responsible spend of money? Right. I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, poke at any companies, but I mean, you hear about stories like Uber, for example, having a 60, what was it? A 40 or 50 or $60 billion quarterly loss. It was, I think it was a $5 billion quarterly loss. Five billion. Okay, but it, it was a billion. It was, it was five. Billion. It was five billion. Okay, it was not one billion. It was, it was five. Okay, so five billion. Like, I mean, of course, like design and engineering can't account for a majority of that, but like, there are parts of that. Sure. Like, I mean, you know, wh- well, where where the talent is, how much they cost, how big the team is. Are you do you have the right people, the right operation? Is it overstaffed, understaffed? Like, yeah, is there an efficiency? An efficiency, yeah. Part of this, and I, I I have no idea. I'd imagine they were, yeah. I guess would it be a design efficiency thing, or would it even be like a marketing? Efficiency? Well, here's what I, I mean. Like, I I'm a I'm kind of a dumbass, 
I'm learning Same. about. I'm learning about. Cheers to that. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> cheers to me, the dumbass. We're on camera. Dumbasses. The dumbasses. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that our financial controller told us, uh, two or, you know, three years ago was like, look, the, there's no hard and fast rule, but generally speaking, a company is going to spend uh, 10% of their uh, gross uh, sales revenue toward, you know, 10, 10% of that kind of goes to marketing. Yeah. All right. So, you Which know, I mean, like, is, is maybe double a restaurant. Right. So like, you know, like out of 5 billion, like what percent was that? Like, I mean, I don't yeah. know the math, but yeah. but a big chunk. And then you can kind of estimate that, like, uh, part of that was design and engineering. I mean, it, it wouldn't be, like, it wouldn't be things that would move the needle astronomically in terms of the, the 5 billion number, but, like, it could be more efficient. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, if, you know, yes. like, if, the, if, if, if people are hiring people from, you know, if you didn't have to hire people who are just in the Bay Area. Yeah. Right. Or yeah, sure, you know, sure, 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 sure. There was, you, there was extra, there was excess. If you didn't need to have like 10 people that just do illustration 10% of the year. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause they did a lot of illustration, but they're great. Yeah. And like, there was all these tweets on Twitter, like, Oh, all these awesome, like, you know, designers and engineers were laid off. Well, yeah, you had a $5 billion loss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what a, a $500 million quarterly marketing budget. Like that, that don't even, that doesn't even really comprehend yeah. um, to me how you would, how you would spend that money. I, I just think like about the fact that th- this doesn't have Uber on it after <laughs> spending that would be shocking. Yeah. I think they're like, uh, not everyone has that, you sure should have that in job description, but I think that, that, uh, efficiency is like, you know, understanding the problem, designing, designing solutions, that whole, you know, experience design, holistic thing is important because you can't. You have to know why, but I think also, I think efficiency is also a thing that I've been thinking about. Can you talk a little bit about your process here and how you guys go from a meet, let's say a, a meeting, uh, to assigning people to a project or is that Ooh, like how, how, like how we go from like a sales, uh, discovery to assigning resources. Yeah. Let, let's just take it uh, post signature. Oh. Um, how do you efficiently assign the right number of people? And I don't know exactly. I'm obviously your staff is some of the friendliest people I've ever met. Well, I mean, I mean the con- I mean the context is we're you know we're, we're an agency, mm-hmm. so we work in a different way than like you know an internal team like yours work. But I mean we have to we have to understand a little bit about a little bit more about what value will look like and what success will look like before we can have like the proposal part. Sure. And then the proposal part is, you know, is, is usually a degree in which we can help bring that value to the company. And then once we know like what the, what the alignment is on the expected value, the expected mission, then, then we can staff it. But by that point, like a design director has already been in those. Usually, ideally, the a design director is likely going to take that on as an account relationship Okay, is in that call. So then depending on, there's all these different Scope. plays, right? Yeah. I mean, because as a service business, we're looking at all a spectrum of sure. projects. And so then we, we look for design leads that have that particular, that specific strength. DNA strength, and then people that are strong contributors in that practice area. And then people that are learning. Okay. So like the, I mean, uh, we were, we just had like a, a design management meeting today and the, we, we broke it this down into like simpler constructs. Like it's so simple. I, I can't believe we hadn't thought about this before. It was like, okay, well you have like, you have like the sponsor, right? You have the, some, the leader and then you have someone that is like the practice area leader 
And then the next person down is the person that is mirroring that person. Okay. And then you have like, a, you know, like ideally like a junior person that's not sure. And so like, if that seems ideal to me because then everyone is like getting what they need, right? You have Everybody's like going up. the yeah. stakeholder needing what they need going down, right? To the, the leader, you know, and then you have this sort of mirroring, mirroring effect. It's nice. Uh, but it, I mean, that's idea, idealistic. And do you have projects that sometimes require five people off your team, sometimes three, sometimes 11? Yeah. I mean, um, or do you try to f- say, okay, here comes the proposal. I'm going to fit it into a seven man, seven person box. We have like some general frameworks for, you know, how we take initial projects with new clients. Yeah. We usually take the first project as a testing. Um, with somebody new. Yeah. Okay. What's the opportunity? Sure. Do you really need it? Do you need us to drive or do you just need us to execute? And like, can we build the trust and stuff? Yep. But yeah, we've been in situations where we have like a whole pot of seven people just okay. working on one client. Yeah. And then we've also have that throttling up and down. So that team might throttle between like three and seven people up and down quarters, depending on like what the customer's like financial Demand. needs yeah. are. Okay. So like, for, like understanding their budget for the year. Yep breaking that down into quarters and like making the team adjust because we're, we're usually kind of helping. We're either helping people augment their team while they're growing and scaling or we're doing a project. So those are very different, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Does your team work on more than one thing at a time? Um, like would fee work on two clients? It, it depends on what the, like the designation is at, like at a project level. This is actually a challenge that, that we're yeah. facing. I mean, right these now. are why I ask. Yeah. Uh, design directors have always managed a book business. So like, you know, a design director, me, my wife, who's my business partner and Ethan have all historically managed a book because we want to have like a relationship owner and someone that can like be along for the long haul. You know, you, you know, that might look like four, you know, three or four accounts. Okay. Someone that's like a design lead historically here has been managing like two projects, two different design directors. Ideally one, but okay. some, you know, in a, yeah, yeah. In a consulting <laughs> that's business, what, that's you know, what I mean. You, everything's yeah. wild west in a consulting business. Yeah. It's kind of the wild west. Uh, but now, you know, like we've been, you know, there's certain things you have to do when you're small to prove scalability. Yeah. Sure. And then there's certain things you can do when you're, when you have more capacity, more capacity, more access to cash and stuff like that. So like the goal right now is to change that where there'd be more absolute, like dedic- dedicated focus. Nice. And, but it could change, right? The, 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 the life cycle of a, a relationship or of a project or a particular work stream doesn't always necessarily require the same people. Sure. Which means it goes back to the efficiency thing. Like, like you could always have your most, you know, expensive person on every single task if you want to maintain continuity. Right. But now someone's not learning. Yeah. You know, uh, now, now that person can't help with a new big challenge because they're like kind of stuck there. So like those are the, you know, I would imagine that even it's internal really teams struggle with that, like new big initiative. How do you, how do you distribute that? You know, the, the skills amongst like, you know, tons of new things going on. It makes complete but, sense. Yeah. It's a good nugget. So in your pitches, are you, when you, cause we, we're going to come back to this. Um, I'll answer this, but then I'm gonna go back to interviewing yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, okay, fair. All right. No, it's fair. But when you guys, <laughs> I, I'm because I'm gonna come back to this PNL question. Do, are you able to articulate a project's value to that company's PL. It's really hard. Okay. So even as a, even like the whole application or the whole yeah. product is still difficult, right? This is the thing. This is a difficult thing to calculate for, from where we sit being like an agency, we, we could help someone calculate like 
the advantages of working with an external team yeah. as opposed okay. to committing to long-term numbers Makes and what long-term sense. overhead is going to be and stuff like that. And some of the advantages that some other advantages like calculating value of like, for example, like one example would be like, let's say, you know, a company like, I don't know, some big fancy Bay Area company. They cycle in people, people come in, they do their tour of duty there, they move 12 on. 12 months, yeah. Yeah, they do their 12 months where they move on. Well, we can, we can, work with that company for one, two, three years. Sure. Never lose excitement. Right. Never lose momentum yeah. by continuously bringing people in. Right. And there is a value to that. Yeah. It makes complete so sense. like, I mean, people, you know, like we can help people, the clients that we're talking to help them calculate that the cost benefit analysis of like continue to hire internally versus yep. externally, or ideally like from our perspective, having a balance. Cause we think that if you're, if you're doing it design at scale, you probably need partners. A little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that makes sense. And they've made the decision, the marketing or the investment risk is really probably made before they have this conversation with you. In I, some regard. Yeah, I think so. And then okay. I mean, just, a, just an industry trend that I'm seeing, you know, just that I think is kind of worth sharing with listeners is that I've always had this prediction that like every seven, about every seven years, there's this kind of up and down thing that happens it's kind of related to technology and and new innovations and then the previous newer innovations become commoditized got it and so what's what i think is happening is that when when new innovation is introduced you need experts yep and then it becomes mainstream you you need people you you need you need generalist okay that's brilliant and then new innovation comes in you need specialists yeah like so it goes like that so if you look at the last seven years of this product design industry the industry has been more or less favoring generalist okay right because like people are doing things like building teams for the first time yes you know you need to you need to have the right kind of sort of mix and you you know and you know specializations like i don't say like content strategy like as an example or like a visual design purist like we're kind of out of the question unless you have tons cash throw and What's happening now, I think that like now that companies are understanding that design can impact business, now they're starting to think, oh, yeah, okay. We need some, we need yeah, some of these specializations, research, yeah. re, you know, research, like, you know, like real hardcore, deep, deep, deep thinking. And also like, you know, as, as these things are exist longer, that's easier to find people to work on them. So I think that that's what, what I'm seeing like right now and talking to a wide variety of like technology companies, especially like the big barrier ones, is that they're there seems to be a pause on hiring specialists internally. Okay. They're building teams with generalists because that they're thinking about efficiency and responsibility. Uh, Generalists can keep be kept busy 80% of the year. Whereas specialists might only be kept busy 10 or 20% of the year. Right. So I, I, uh, it's interesting that some companies are thinking that thinking about then saying, well, okay, we don't necessarily need to have like a dedicated icon designer our company like we'll that's an area we need. yeah to go out we want the that holistic product design or holistic ux design thinking, thing like right. big thinking internally because that makes sense right i mean you want the big thinking internally most of the time you know anyway it's good it's good to have these conversations it's funny that it's being recorded so thank you for <laughs> yeah i mean uh, we're i mean i guess we you know we're just sharing what we're we're yeah. we're seeing you know, i mean most Everyone's kind of probably, you know, asking similar questions or thinking about things in a different way. We, we probably don't have all the answers. No. I know I don't. <laughs> I certainly don't. Um, 
I have none. I wanted to bring this, uh, you know, thank, thanks for letting me interrupt interrupt you yeah. earlier, but it's really interesting that you've had such a, a an interesting, like, path into design, you know, sure. from, like, start, you know, like, you know, wanting to be an astronaut, wanting to be a doctor, going, yeah. you know, studying finance, you know, like, interested in acting, yeah. being in, being in production, all this stuff. Question for you. Yeah. In the things that you do at work, do you ever feel like you're an astronaut? or a doctor do you ever feel like you're there's any part of that thing you wanted to be when you grow up that is in your job today what a great question this is how i would describe it i think there are aspects there are aspects of those jobs that are mirrored Um, i don't think i've ever thought in the moment i bet this is what it felt like to be on the moon Um, or to be in space, or to save a life. But I think there are moments that are, and for me, like what really, like what I really enjoy, and these have nothing to do really with being an astronaut or being a doctor, but maybe the ball player part. Um, Oh, yeah. So I think that um, when the team rallies, and we all solve a problem together, uh, especially one that you know, so we will, you know, we will hear about a problem uh, from the business that we're supposed to solve in the software. Uh, maybe it's uh, something they've already they already have and that we're going to replace. And the team will will circle up and beat it up together. And maybe they, you know, we stay a little late and come up with something and come up with a solution that's that's new, a new way to solve this problem that right. they, that nobody has thought of. And in those moments, you're the spaceman exploring. Yeah. Like whatever it is, it's like, it's like the, the, the resolution of these childhood dreams. Yeah. Uh, But it doesn't necessarily, I don't necessarily go, this is what it would have been like to win the world series. I asked that question because I was just talking with uh, my, my, my leadership coach last week, because she Mm -hmm. was in town from Oakland conducting a, um, she does this training thing called, so now you're a manager. Okay. Wait, this is somebody you meet with on the regular who lives in Oakland? Yeah, I have like a coach that I, that, I, that I meet with like once a week. Brilliant. She comes from, she has a really interesting background. She's not okay. a designer, but like she she really, she, she focuses on design leaders. That's awesome. And, and over happy hour, she was, she, was, she was telling me that like, she's found that that's an interesting question to ask people. Like uh, for coaches yeah. to ask the people they're mentoring but also like a good question for like a design leader to ask their designers, because I don't remember the whole ins and outs of it, but she was saying like, you can kind of, if you kind of get an idea by asking like that question, you can kind of get an idea of like some of the things that like people valued when they were young. Yeah. And even though they're far different, like, you know, exploring the moon way different than like, you know, exploring new technology, but there might indicate some level of like how people think and feel about things. Yeah, uh, I thought I thought it was pretty interesting. That's a great question. I want to talk about. I doc- actually I actually think that uh, even the question will change the way I view my job in a weird way because I think now I can go back and and start to look through it through that lens because uh, I don't think I've ever I've ever thought of it in that way. It's like you have made a connection in my brain that I can now go look for. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean. In- it's pretty special. The, the question is whether it's, you know, like how re- real, you know, like there's, there's some things there, but yeah, I thought it was really inter- interesting. Yeah. It's a tactic that I, that I'm 
going to start using in yeah. the coaching that I do with the people on my team. Okay. I don't know. See it's, good. See yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about values a little bit. Yeah. How do your values influence your leadership? Yeah, this is a question I actually wanted to ask you. I think that articulating my values has been actually more difficult uh, than I thought previously. I don't think I, I know I have them. You Are know, you talking I, about personal values yeah, or organizational no, values? No, probably personal values. Uh, I think I can look at my life and say, oh, I definitely have values. Um, and somebody goes, oh, well, cool. Hit me with the top three. Uh, I like candy. You know, like I, I, I mean, legit, yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to articulate uh, and own them. And so I've been in the process of trying to do that. And then I can almost say, well, how do I approach a team member that needs something in their personal life uh, that will uh, hold up an amount of work that the team is counting on. What is more important to me, the personal life. So in that moment I can see, okay, well uh, the human experience for that person is more important than our team goals. That's a, a value. I'm not sure I knew I had, until I stopped and said, well, what are my values? And so I'm in the process of doing this. I was curious, you know, for you, if you've done this before, you seem like someone who, when I, when I read about things you do, or, you know, and I watch the video at Epicurrence, uh, you value your team, you value your team, like a family caring for people is a very high value for you. Uh, and I was just curious to talk through that for you. How, uh, how have you gotten here? Can you articulate it? Is it something you just do? That makes sense. Yeah, I guess the context is that I've, I've been in this business for a very long time. I start like I, you know, my first job designing, being a designer, was in 1999. Okay, so that's yeah, 20 years. Yeah, and I've worked at a lot of different places and enough to know like what I I think like to pick up the things that I think are right or wrong or or, or whatever. From um, experience. Yeah, yeah. Like watching other leaders, okay. like, you know, like interacting with bot, like so many, like I've been able to I've mix and match that. So I think like when, when Natalie and I started this company, we may not have known how to like really do this at scale, but we knew enough to know that like, okay, look, people are going to have options when they come to us. So like <laughs> the just, very, the very yeah. first thing that we have to be great at probably ought to be like our culture and value system. And we probably need to we probably need to rank that higher than like actual output that we're doing because uh, we have to have people to do you know right. to do this. So I think that like there's a you know like in my how I think about things like at work and at home are they're almost different or maybe I don't not different but I don't, not enough similar priority like okay. I I you know I could put everyone at work over you know business related stuff people over money and stuff like that but I also kind of put the company over me over personal things more than maybe I should. And that's now starting to be a non-negotiable thing. Now that I have like a a baby and all that. So I'm trying, I'm trying to learn how to balance that. But I think like, so I'm not as good as like living up to my own values on a personal level as, you know, as I maybe am like work. Cause I think most of my, most of like I've been in the, in the design business for 20 years. I'm 41 years old. So, half of my life has been doing this. Yeah. It, 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 that defines me, I think kind of more than anything. Sure. And, but I think that like, you have to rock really just live up to them. Like, I mean, 
because people are going, you know, people can sniff that out. Like people can sniff out like a value really quickly, right? Like, I mean, if you, you know, if you're telling your wife, like, yeah, I, I value, like, this is our family time and you abuse that. Yeah. Like, Obviously. you don't really value that. Right. Yeah. So if you tell, like, if you have a company or a team value, you know, like, well, this is a value and like, you don't hold people accountable to that, then it's not really something that people should care about. Yeah. So I think like, it's in a poster. The, the biggest thing for me is learning how to, is learning how to act and exercise on that swiftly. You know, like when, when someone like is upholding a value or, or bringing that up, like making sure that people are aware of that when, some, when, if someone is, 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 is not, then pushing, back. you know, pushing back or, or parting ways with that person fast. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think that like, um, and it's different. I, I guess it's different when you own a business and when you work at a company, because like when you work at a company, there's not, you have no, you don't have really any control. Like, yeah. I mean, I think depending on the company, I feel, yeah. you know, I feel like one of the, the great things about being a part of this is for the most part, we have a lot of autonomy on, how we manage. Oh, so how, like and how we are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And so that does feel like we're in a good space that way. I think the, the problem with my values and how it influences my leadership is sometimes I, I wonder if they're actually appropriate. Like I like, I feel like it's pretty important to be, to be pretty transparent and straight with people. Like just be really honest, you know, and about work or about anything. life. Yeah. Okay. You know, so like sometimes like when, now that the, you know that, that made sense when we were four people, eight people, twelve people. Yeah. Like now that you know, like now that this, you know, even we're a small company, <laughs> yeah, sure, twenty and five people. But like that's amazing, by the way. If you try to, if you you know, if you try to work, sometimes that can actually work against you, right? Because yeah. transparency might mean like it could mean something like, "Hey guys, like I know I'm your boss, but I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm trying the best I can. I'm about to make a decision without the information." <laughs> yeah. Um, can we, you know, can we work on this together? Which is like, where you know, like, it, or it can be seen as a sign of like not knowing what you're doing, yeah, or like not being able to make a decision. So I, I would imagine I, I, that know, you're, I, I, I fear that sometimes. Yeah, and I would imagine. I mean, you're you uh, in our interactions, you've always been very genuine. If somebody wants to work at a place, um, that somebody will always protect the veneer of success. Uh, they'll go find a job where that happens. Yeah. I mean, I say that to encourage you at yeah. least in your, uh, letting people see you. I don't know. I, Cause I think I believe in the same thing. Yeah. I, the, the position that we're at, like as a service agency, you know, as an agency is, is difficult because especially with the growth in, in Texas, right? Like the yeah. growth in Texas over the last year boom last two years boom last three years boom like the last three years have been boom 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 people can go work wherever they want yeah. like there's ton like there's tons of big you know all you know the bayer people all come in there's tons of jobs and people go where they want so i think that it's it's really important to stick to the values because the reason why someone might be choosing not to work at one of these big companies and joining as a startup yeah. or joining agencies because of those values and so if if you don't enforce them then it can have this, you know, greater impact on it. Then it can really affect the culture. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I don't even know if that is what the question you no, asked I think, me I or think not. It, no, I think it's good. I mean, um, do you take time to try to articulate them uh, to yourself, even to know them? Yeah. So it's a journey, right? Like when we, yeah. when we, when we created, when Natalie and I created this company, the company was Natalie and I. 
So we we started out with a set of values that okay. were just related to us, right? And then there was like four people, right? And I don't know when we started actually creating company values, but it had to be somewhere around maybe year two. Okay. Right. How well, many people at that point? Six. Yeah. Okay. Eight, six, seven, eight. Yeah. And then, you know, we've kind of will incrementally update those. But in, even 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 in, like even then, it was just like me or Natalie and I creating those sure. for our people. Sure. Which I guess you could do if you're the, the owner or whatever. But did, did you feel like in those moments, those were yours or those yeah. were fun size? Okay. Yeah. So those were. Yeah. And then it reaches the this families. moment where you realize, well, you know, the. the, the we have to own it. Yeah. The, yeah. It's got to be a company thing. Yeah. You know, so we. We did this exercise. We hired um, Peter Merholtz, who's um, been on this podcast twice. Awesome. Someone that, I don't know if you know who he is or not, but he like was founder of Adaptive Path. Like, you know, I, I don't think, you know, like really important for people even having a, you know, the, the idea of user experience being like a okay. thing. And like, we brought him in and he did this exercise with us where we were, and it was just like, uh, it was just a leadership team, but like seeing that these new values emerge. Were, were really interesting hmm. and it really helped us understand like he helped put them on paper yeah okay and it it was really interesting because like going through that exercise like even if they don't actually change the actual like even if we never go into the document and actually change our values it was really good for like the leadership alignment because mm-hmm. it answered a lot of questions that we were asking ourselves like how how big does this team need to be what what kind of design services we would do? Like what do we want to be great at? Like what kind of people we hire? Like the you know things that came out of this were like yeah. embrace misfits, mm. right? And 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 stuff cool. like that, right? It wasn't about like you know transparency and communication. It was it would it, it was other more ethos. Yeah, exactly. It awesome. was really it was really cool to do that. It's cool. Yeah, this is just starting to do its thing a little bit. <laughs> The oh, the whiskey, yeah, yes. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean it's and it's. Uh, I forgot to tell you that it's hundred proof and mm. like extremely strong. It's very strong, very so, strong. But it's good. I'm yeah. a major lightweight, so it's no surprise. <laughs> and I had a, I had a light lunch. Oh, so yeah, it's good. Feels yeah. good. Well, at least you picked a good like, and you went to school in Waco. Yeah, I went to school in Waco, and then I was there from 2010 to 2014 uh, when Balconies was under the bridge um, before they moved into their new digs. Um, so I want to, you know what I, what I was thinking would be cool would be to get like a group, just a few people from Austin and a few people from Dallas and like go to Waco and like go to the Balcones distillery. Yeah, we should do that. And count me in, go drink some whiskey. The whole and then thing. it's like, yeah. like, um, I don't know what there is to do in Waco at, there's at a lot. night, but like, yeah, there's, there's a lot we could go. find. We could, uh, we can call Corey over at Milo and he can. He can cook dinner. Um, he's got a great shop there. Great, great restaurant. That'd be fun. Yeah, we should, we should do that. I have a, a handful of uh, Waco friends. I have a lot of Waco friends, so that'd be fun. We definitely need to do that. So like, yeah. as soon as yeah, we're yeah, done here, yeah, let's yeah. plan that. That's an easy, easy, um, easy one. I got a couple of questions yeah. for you. Uh, and thanks for asking me questions. Like, not yeah, many people do that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what is, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? I guess since this is a, this, since yeah. this is a design yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe you can... Uh, frame it in like the most challenging thing related to design. There's, be- there's definitely like an internal clock here where I feel like I need to answer this, you know, like I need to know this answer, but I think it's a good question. I think, you know, I think we have a handful. I mean, I think from a team, I, I think for me, my own personal understanding of 
how design, how these decisions actually, like what we talked about earlier, how they do uh, make financial sense, I think is something I'm going to keep pursuing. Um, I think as a team, as we are a team, I think we're about 16 people. And as we get different types of requests or different types of projects or different types of work, you know, we have uh, a team that does back-end work and API work. And we have a team that does client work. And we have a team that does design work. And then we have a team that does discovery. And we have a team that does QA work. And all of those teams get pressured during different situations. Uh, and I think the challenge is just to try to smooth that process. Because how do you not overload certain groups of people during certain times a year? Um, and so we have, we've changed the, the cadence of the way we approach work a little bit. Uh, and I do think it's helped. Um, but we're still small. And the, the smallest little tweak can put a lot of, you know, stack a lot of work onto one of those groups. Um, so I think that's the thing that I wouldn't say keeps me up at night, but that's the thing that I'm always thinking about, you know, where, where can we improve and where can we tweak? I think we always have, you know, the, the we're serving businesses and the businesses are changing and the businesses are evolving. And that's probably the most fun part about it is that it's not static. I didn't realize there was a, a client service aspect to that. There is. Yeah. So we're certainly, we're certainly serving the three businesses. And so that's always a little bit of a challenge. And I, you know, I, um, had a, a design web shop, uh, with a friend and a couple of friends, uh, when I was in California and it, it's still in existence, <clears throat> I'm not involved with it near like I was, but that experience of client service has been, uh, extremely helpful for me now because we are saying, okay, well, I think you guys want this. And you guys want this. Um, how can we see this the same way? Um, that's always a challenge. I think it's a fun challenge that energizes me. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge of maybe it's because uh, that typically falls on me. Uh, that's typically my role in this. Uh, what, uh, I'm the only there's like a couple of us that do that. You know, Pete and I will be the ones who who mainly do that. Getting the team feeling like the right amount of work is coming to them with the right amount of time. Uh, to give somebody a chance to do excellent work, right? Because there are times where we say, hey, today's going to be harder to do your best work uh, because there's a lot piled up on you. Yeah. Um, and so you might have to make sacrifices and start to push up against values of your your personal life. And so how do we, you know... I, I think that's... Uh, you, you mentioned something similar to that earlier, and I, I won't mention any names, but I know this guy named... I, Mm, I'm almost close. close. <laughs> oh man, I wanted it. I wanted oh it. man. Uh, so I I know this guy. Uh, he was one of our first clients, and he's one of the best engineers I've ever worked with. He sold two companies to two of the biggest berry companies that you can think of, and he was kind of the engineering co-founder of like this new exciting company that uh, another very so big general, I can't figure anything out. Yeah. <laughs> DC <laughs> yeah. made, but he hit this point in his life where he, um, he wasn't feeling well okay. and he needed to take a break, take a break. And the owner of the company was like, well, you know, like it was a total, like it wasn't embraced at all. And it, it, it eventually just pushed this person out. But I think that like, if you think about all the things we're talking about, like understanding how the com- business yeah. makes money yep. and efficiency and innovation and all that, that happens when you have 
trust and relationships and that those are built over years yeah right so like what you know and what's like if you think about it like what is three months in terms of like what can be accomplished in the rest of that year yeah if you understand those if if those things are there i don't know but yeah some people you know might you know bureaucrats might look at that differently sure yeah so that's it. That's that's probably our our my the thing that that uh it's got me thinking the most. So since you said uh that this thing wasn't the thing that keeps you up at night, what is the thing that keeps you up at night? No, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know if I can even answer that uh, publicly. Um I think that I am always trying to find peace. So um, but I'm an overthinker and an overanalyzer. Uh, and I think people would tell me, Hey, actually the key to peace is to not do that. Like <laughs> that is the thing preventing you. But I think I'm, I'm, you know, I think I'm, I'm growing up a lot and I am learning that on some regard, um, me, for me to be open, uh, is to also accept myself. And so, Uh, that's a challenge. It's just a challenge to, to say, Oh, this is a thought I had, or, uh, I don't know that answer or, uh, and sometimes it's in, in work settings. I think it's, it's pretty easy. I think in relationships, it becomes a challenge outside of work. Um, I think that it is obvious on my team that I'm not the smartest person in the room. And that's a, that's a blessing. Right. And I think, um, so I think for me, it's like, it's just always trying to, to be okay, uh, and to accept all that's going on in my head. So, I don't know. There's probably, there's probably lots of that. <laughs> that keeps me up at night. Uh, so yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, hanging out in the yeah. office today. I think are you going to awesome. be around tomorrow? I am. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know you have like uh, you got a dinner to get going yeah. too, so I'll let you go. But okay. why don't you let people know how they can connect with you? Oh sure, yeah. Um, I guess uh, like Instagram and Twitter is probably the best thing. Is that is how people answer this? Um, I this is what I would say. My Instagram and Twitter are both m trozo m t r o z z o. Um, also, if you're in the DFW area, um, you should download this app called Tide Cleaners DFW and try it out. You can email me at mike at universitylaundry and you can tell us, like we, like I said to Anthony, we do want feedback and we always want to get better. So uh, if you want to check it out and download the app, I'd love your feedback. I'd love to say, hey, this was confusing or this was easy. And uh, you can tell me all the bad things. And I feel secure that I can hear it. So, yeah. Thanks, so good. thanks for making time. And yeah, thanks of course. For, this is awesome. For, thanks for having you know, me. You know, thanks for being willing to talk, you know, talk openly. And yeah, of course. It's been a pleasure to hang out. You I'm too. looking forward to hanging out with you tomorrow and maybe hopefully Sunday. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at funsize.co. I'm Esteban Marquez, a product designer at Funsize. We'll catch you next time.